0: So I'll, I'll just give you the back... I'll give you, like, a little bit of the back, back story. Um, I've been writing professionally since I was... For 20... It's 21 years, because my daughter just turned 21 last week, and I wanted to stay home with her, right? So I went to college and was sort of, like, editor of my high school and college newspapers, so I was sort of an English double major. Um, and in the beginning, I didn't start writing as a career... nobody really taught me in college that you could be a writer for a living, like how to do that as a career. And I I always wish that I had had that piece then because I sort of had to figure it out on my own. Um, Nobody said teaches a class on like the business of writing. And I told Leslie at the university of Maryland, like if let me teach the business of writing, dealing with editors, working as a freelancer, making money on your own, like let me teach that so that how to get an agent, how to get published. Like that's the kind of thing I want to teach so I can help people do that. You know, um, but anyway, I never had any of that, and so I sort of like I was working at a doctor's office during college, and so they offered me a full time job. So here I am working at this as a medical billing insurance agent worker, like for doctors, orthopedic surgeons in Rockville, and I'm doing that, and I'm like, I mean, it's a fine job. The salary was excellent. I had just graduated from college, but I got pregnant, and and my husband and I have been together since high school, and I was like, well, if I'm going to have a baby, like I'm not going to leave her and go to this job. Like the job just wasn't meaningful enough for me to be like, this is my career, so, you know, you're going to daycare or whatever. So I'd been raised, you know, by my mom in the, um, hi, come on in, please, please come on in. I had been raised in, like, the the era of, like, Ms. Magazine and Gloria Steinem and my, my, um, like, lesbian pot-smoking guitar-playing aunt had bought me Ms. Magazine, so I had grown up believing that, like, I needed to have a career. I couldn't just, like, have kids and be home like my mom had. Um, but, when I got pregnant, I was like, no, I want to be, I want to raise this child. I don't want to have a baby and put the baby in daycare and go back to my crappy job. I just started, I'm talking about how I became a writer. Um, And so somebody said to me something along the lines of, um, you should write, it was a friend I had that worked at the local magazine that was a writer. She said, why don't you just write write something for us? They'll, they'll, They'll pay you to write, you know, a short piece for us. And I was like, oh, well, someone will pay me to write something? Like, sure, I'll do that. So that was in 1994, and so that my professional writing career started in Frederick, Maryland. I started working for a regional, for Frederick Magazine. That was the first public publication that I ever wrote for, um, and then my editor at Frederick Magazine said to me, um, well, you're, you're all shucks writing. You'll never write for anybody bigger than Frederick Magazine because your your all shucks writing is kind of condescending to readers, and I was like confused because... Saying I had all shucks writing and saying I was consenting seemed like they weren't the same thing. And I just decided, like, no, I think I could write for someone bigger. So I started writing for the Baltimore Sun, started freelancing for them, um, and ended up um, writing a newspaper humor column for a newspaper in Frederick, Maryland, and also writing for ever, ever wanting to face her challenge of not writing for anyone bigger. Um, I brought her my first Baltimore Sun article, and I said I was published in the Baltimore Sun. I'm writing for them now, and she was like, oh, "Well, that's just one newspaper." And I was like, "Okay." So she she inadvertently was being supportive because she was but I don't think she was doing that like to be nice. I think she was she was like a very miserable, unhappy middle aged midlife crisis woman, and she was jealous that I could even be published in a bigger. So she was nat- being nasty, but to me, I was like this is a challenge. Like, if you're telling me I can't do something, I'm going to do I'm gonna do it. So, inadvertently, yeah, she was challenging me. So, I went out and I freelance then for the Philadelphia Inquirer and for the Washington Post. Um, eventually, moved on from writing for Frederick Magazine because um, I had, like, this weekly humor column. And so, like, long story short, I was a freelance journalist for 20 years prior to the publication of this, my first novel. My first novel comes out May 12th. It's called The Scarlet Letter Society. And Um, now I'm a website editor. So I went from being working in print for all these years to... uh, And I became a um, managing editor and then editor-in-chief of Chesapeake Family Magazine, which is a magazine in Annapolis. Um, And I live on the eastern shore, so I worked in Annapolis as a magazine editor. And it was great, but it was... The commute is tough across the bridge. I have four kids, and it's a little bit tough, like the whole kind of coming across the bridge thing. And I ended up... um, Kind of like things happen in such a weird way, right? I mean, my my life's always been just kind of like very like go with the flow. But I had a hysterectomy that knocked me completely out. I started having migraines, and I couldn't drive because the migraine medicine I couldn't drive on that, and I couldn't drive with the migraines. And it was like a hormonal thing from the hysterectomy, so I had to leave my job at the magazine. So I didn't quit, and I wasn't fired. It was just like I couldn't go there because I couldn't drive across the bridge either with the migraines or the medicine. And my publisher was sad. I mean, she's having a book party for me next month. Like, we're still really good friends. But I ended up getting, taking a um, senior, editor, senior editor position at a website instead. Because I was like, well, I can work at home, still be with my kids and everything, and still get paid the same to be an editor on the Internet. And so I started blogging in 2004. Um, and so I'm just kind of going along being a nonfiction personal essay writer, basically, for um, 20 years. And then Fifty Shades of Grey came out in 2012. At the same time that my husband and I got separated, so we had been together since high school. We have four kids, and I said, "You know, I'm going to write a novel." And it literally was like no preparation. I didn't know what I was doing. I just sort of said, "I had read Fifty Shades of Grey to review it for work," and I was like, "If this piece of—I don't know if I'm turned on or not. If this book—if this book can be published and sell, you know, hundred million copies." I wonder if I could, like, almost like a writing challenge, Like, I couldn't do a worse job, was how I felt about it. Then I was invited to speak on the Katie Couric show when EL James, the author of Fifty Shades of Grey, was there because I had written this like scathing review, and I'm like, oh my God, they invited me to the show because of this, this piece I wrote about how awful Fifty Shades of Grey is. But I had also written a lighter piece about my book club, who are all women over 60. They had done Fifty Shades of Grey at a book club, you know, as a book club of the month thing and my piece was called Fifty Shades of Grey Hair and it was about these older women you know, giving this, doing this review of Fifty Shades of Grey so um, the women who were in their 60s and 70s in the book club were just they weren't sure how to handle Fifty Shades of Grey they, they ha- the food at the book club meetings is supposed to match the book so the woman who was hosting the book club meeting for Fifty Shades of Grey um, Asked, had asked me, I was I was actually I had rented a cottage on an island, and I'm writing this novel. Right, it's 2012. My husband and I are separated, and, and I'm on this like I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write a novel. Now, at the same time, because I'm separated from my husband, I'm doing research for this novel. Okay, it's a romance novel. I, I'm doing so much research, so lots of research. Um, and this woman next door to me said, my, my book clubs were doing Fifty Shades of Grey. And I don't know what I'm doing. Will you come and, you know, um, will you run this book club discussion? And I was like, she's like, you're writing a romance, you know, a a sleazy romance book. You should come in and and present the Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm like, to a room full of women I've never met in my life before. So I did. I went and um, we had the discussion of Fifty Shades of Grey. She had grilled sausages in two containers one said dominant dogs and one said submissive sausages and you were supposed to like take which one you thought applied to you if you had read Fifty Shades of Grey and then she had these cupcakes with the gray icing and everything and the piece that I wrote about these women reviewing Fifty Shades of Grey was then called Fifty Shades of Grey Hair and the Katie Kirk show found that post and invited me to come to New York and I got to meet E.L. James and they hadn't read the scathing review I wrote of Fifty Shades of Grey. They just happened upon this blog post that I wrote about these women in their 60s and 70s reviewing this romance book when they're not really traditionally used to talking about a, a novel like that. So you have these women sitting around, and it was like, and of course, once everyone starts drinking enough wine, they'll talk about anything. So you had women talking about, I mean, it was ridiculous it was like well i remember the first time i was tied up you know and i'm like oh my god and so it was just like this is hysterical but um basically my goal with the book was if 50 shades of gray can do this i've been a journalist for 20 years i've been a professional writer for 20 years i can't do a worse job so i wrote the book proposal up and i found 25 literary agents in new york who who represent commercial women's fiction which is what this is called um, commercial women's fiction just means you ha- would like to sell your book instead of having it be an excellent book that's like eligible for the National Book Award and stuff. So I learned that commercial women's fiction was the genre that I was writing in. And erotic romance is the subcategory because you know how there's like categories and then nested within those there's other categories. And that kind of all becomes important because what category your book's in. Is where you go up the bestseller list. So the book came out in Kindle form last year, 2014, June 2014, and Kindle chose, Barnes and Noble chose it as their Nook of the Day, and and Amazon chose it as the Kindle of the Day, and so it started going up the bestseller chart because it was highlighted by Barnes and Noble and Amazon, and the day that that happened, I'm like all excited. I'm like, Yay! My 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 ebook is selling, you know, because um. I had landed an agent and a publisher, but that didn't really mean the book was going to be printed yet because kind of the new format seems to be, we'll put your book out in the digital format, and then if people buy it, like a lot of people buy it, then we'll print it. So that, and that's exactly what happened with my book. Um, this book comes out in print May 12th. Um, this, these are advanced copies that I have today. Um, and it's climbing the digital like Kindle chart. And we're refreshing the page. We're like, how high is it going to get? You know, it was so it was so exciting. Um, it was like, it's going to, you know, it's, let's see if we can break the top, you know, like first hundred thousand, top ten thousand, top thousand. Oh my God, I'm in the top hundred. Now I'm officially a best selling author, right? Because the definition of a best selling author is that you're in the top one. The, the stretched definition, okay is that if you're in the top 100 of any chart, you're a best-selling author. And I'm like, good enough, print it on the business cards, let's do this. I'm a best-selling author. I'm all excited i am be in the top 100. And at the top of the, that list, erotic romance on the Kindle romance bestsellers list, is Sylvia Day, who, is, who came out after Fifty Shades of Grey. So in romance writing, you have Fifty Shades of Grey shattering everything in 2012 with that trilogy. And so the top, the top of that chart is... But now Sylvia Day is like the hot new thing, right? It's like the next thing. So if you look at the chart, it's like Sylvia Day, number one, two, three. And then E.L. James, number four, five, six, seven. Because it was her three books and her box set. And I landed at number eight. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just landed at number eight under like Sylvia Day times three, E.L. James times four. And I'm at number eight. And I'm so happy. I, I screenshot it and like put it on my author page. Number eight bestseller. Yay. Um, and then my publisher calls me from New York, and he's like, "You got to refresh your page." So I refreshed the page, and the book had jumped above all the Fifty Shades of Grey to land at number four. And I never, I never went higher than four, but I did top all the Fifty Shades of Grey. And I was like, oh, I couldn't believe it. And so then they decided to print it. And so here it is in print, like it just came this week in the mail. So I'm really excited about it. And like it's here in the bookstore if you want to get it. And after this, I have to go down and I'll sign copies to all the hordes of you that came to this session. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, I'm just happy to be here today on this beautiful day in Baltimore because I'm happy that they still had this festival, and I'm happy that we're here celebrating literary arts, and I'm disappointed that my fellow panelists couldn't make it today because one was genuinely sick. Like, one girl, was two, yeah, two days ago said... I had to go to the ER, something's wrong with me, and then said she had to get her gallbladder removed. So she's actually going to surgery. So one was, like, tragically, couldn't make it, Laura Kay. And um, AC Author, who is an African-American writer in downtown Baltimore, said she didn't want to come to the city. She just didn't want to come to the city. And I was like, oh, like, oh, so here I am by myself. I don't have panelists. I'm supposed to be leading a panel discussion, and there's no panelists. (laughs) So it's wide open. You can ask me questions. We can talk about anything you want. The journey to publication, romance writing, I'm not a romance writer. That's the only downside. Like if you were coming here hoping to learn about romance writing, sort of like, I guess I'm a romance writer now because this came out, but for like 20 years, that's not what I've done. So my journey to becoming a romance writer started in my career in journalism because as a blogger, somebody offered asked me if I wanted to do a a review of a sex toy. The sex toy company... Companies always approach you and say, if we give you free stuff, will you write about it when you're a blogger? Um, and I've spoken at the National Blogging Conference and stuff because I've been a blogger for so long. Pajamas and Coffee is the name of my blog. Started it in uh, 2007. So the sex toy company comes to me and they're like, hey, you want to write a review of a sex toy? And I'm like, I don't, I don't do sex toy reviews. I'm a humor writer and a journalist. And they were like, that's okay. You can still write a sex toy review if you're a journalist and a humor writer. Just write whatever you want. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not gonna be a serious review of sex toys. I mean, it's gonna be, I'm gonna find something funny and I'm gonna write about how it's funny. And it's not gonna be like, I'm not gonna sell you vibrators like, or whatever. They're like, no, 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 no. You, all they care about is how many readers you have, right? So they said, pick out any sex toy you want from our company and we'll send it to you and you write about it. And I was like, okay. So I'm going through the sex toy company website going, oh, my God, like, <laughs> this is insane that these things exist. I had no <laughs> idea. So I'm trying to pick something that will make for a humor piece versus, like, a legitimate, like, vibrator review, which I was, like, not doing. So I find this rubber ducky vibrator, and it's, it literally is, it's a vibra- it's, appears as a child's rubber ducky, and, but it's a vibrator. He has, like, a pirate hat on. I think you can get him in different costumes. I don't know. I think I picked the pirate. I'm not sure. But the idea is that if you're a mom and you have this, your kids find your vibrator, it's a rubber ducky. So they won't be like, oh, we found this. What is this? And it's just this random, you know, rubber ducky that's lying around instead of, you know, like a crazy dildo or something, I guess. So I write the review of the sex toy, and it's called, my review ends up being called Fuck a Duck because... How do you not call it fuck a duck, right? So I totally called it fuck a duck. And I ran it on my blog, and it went like mini viral. I'm not going to say like real viral, but it went like kind of mini viral because it was a humor piece. It wasn't like, and the sex toy company went insane. But like the traffic to their website went insane. They sold tons of vibrators, tons of, they sold out of the rubber duckies, whatever. But I mean, I was writing about it from a humor perspective about how like I took it in the tub and I thought I drowned it and I was trying to like kind of give it like CPR to get like the water out of it and I'm like I'm and then I'm like kind of like it's like a hole and I'm like kind of trying to get the water I'm like sucking it in. and so I'm like in my story is like I can't believe I'm giving a motherfucking blowjob to a motherfucking rubber duck like and so it was just it was just a light piece and and the sex toy company then came to me and said please write for us weekly we want you to do a sex toy every week and I'm like as far as I was concerned, that was like a one off. Like the writing about the sex, that was fun, yay. Like I did something different, you know. But I was like, well, um, weekly. And they're like, yeah, we'll pay you, you know, you, all the free sex toys you want. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to. You can give them away to your readers. And so all of a sudden, despite myself, I had Hump Day posts every Wednesday that were sex toy reviews from this, this sex toy company, and it just, like, kind of randomly happened. But I said to them, I will never write a series where you're not going to see me write a review if that's what you want. Like, I'm telling you, I'm never going to do this. They're like, we don't care. We, like, having sold however many sex toys, we don't care what you write. Just put the link to our website in it. They didn't, you know. So I wrote, um, I found a vibrator that you, it wirelessly syncs to your iPod and vibrates to the beat of the music, that you're playing and I was like I cannot believe that exists so I wrote you know like come on feel the noise of course was the name of my piece there and and ended up doing and, the, and then there's like inflatable farm animal sex toys and I'm like you've got to be kidding me so I wrote Mary had a little lamb my name's Mary and, and wrote Mary had a little lamb and Obviously, I'm not going to review, like, an inflatable sheep, but the re- what I did was I read all the reviews of the inflatable sheep of people who were really reviewing it, okay, like, who used it, and I was like, this is hysterical. So I pick out, like, the ten funniest reviews of the inflatable sheep, and I just run, like, the ten best reviews of an inflatable sex toy sheep you will ever see, you know, anywhere, and that was, like, what my post was about. Mm-hmm. Um, then they had uh, a Clona willy which is actually... A molding kit for you to get your partner's junk and you like mold it. My husband like, took one for the team. I was like, listen, I'm gonna have to clone your Willy. <laughs> it's for art. We're getting, I'm getting paid. And he was like, oh my God. So I did the clone a Willy thing. And the idea is that they, they make an actual replica. Like, they will make a vibrator actual replica. And, of course, the in the news this week was that you can have your lover's ashes put into a dildo, and I was like, that would have been one I would have done, <laughs> totally. <laughs> so I ended up writing all these sex reviews, and that was like, that's not romance writing at all, right? So, so far I have zero experience writing romance, right? I continue to be a journalist and a humor writer, and today my real job still is that I'm an editor of a website in Baltimore called Splice Today. Um, and... But 2012 came and Fifty Shades of Grey came out and I was like, oh God, even I could do a better job than that. So it was like it was a challenge. It was like it was like my writing professor had said to me, which she would in the day, like you'd have to write a piece in the style of somebody. So you'd have to like read Hunter S. Thompson or like Tom Wolfe or whoever she picked, and you'd have to write a piece in their style. And I was like, well I'm not gonna write it in the style of of E.L. James, but but can I write a book with sex in it that's intelligently written for strong women? Who are not getting tied up, who are in control of their lives and in control of their bodies and so forth, and and craft a story around that. So it was that was the writing challenge that I kind of gave myself in 2012. And then, I mean, I guess I can't say if it worked out or not because the book comes out in May 12th, so it's only an event. But it did well, and obviously in the Kindle thing to make it to number four was cool. Um, and now all of a sudden I'm a romance writer, and I'm like, whoa, like uh, that's not me. And so when I sold my book, my my book contract came and it said it's a two book contract. And I was like, what's the other book? I literally was like, I asked my agent and my publisher, I'm like, what's the other book? Like, I was like excited to hear what it was. And they were like, well, you know, your next book. And I'm like, oh, I have to write another one. I mean, it's like, they're so long. And like, I've been writing a thousand words one time, like one, a thousand word pieces, 500,000 words for 20 years, but like 60,000 more, like it's long, you know, I was like, I don't know if I want to do another book. And Then I was just like, "Well, it's a contract for two books, so now I have to write another book." So I wrote the sequel to the Scarlet Letter Society. It's called the Scarlet Letter Scandal. It comes out in November, Um, because I was just like, "Okay, I guess that's my next writing challenge. Is now you have to write the next, you know, the next, the sequel to this." Um, And then the Maryland Romance Writers um, invited me to come speak to them. And so there's a group of real romance writers in Maryland, none of whom are here, despite my best efforts to have invited both of them. Um, and for those of you who came late The other panelists didn't come One had to have emergency surgery this week And one didn't want to come to downtown Baltimore Because can you just see how violent it is right now So what are you going to do I tried to actually have real romance writers here And I'm sorry to disappoint you That you're stuck with me just this, this journalist I mean I was like No one's going to come And then these two were here in the front And I'm like thank you both for coming like, <laughs> I didn't know if anybody was going to come today at all Um, And it was a panel discussion that I was supposed to lead, right? So it wasn't like me sitting there talking. That wasn't supposed to be what happened. So now I'm like, here I am. So why don't you guys tell me what you want to learn or hear about or talk about? Um, That's a a great question. And it actually goes right to what I'm supposed to be talking about today. So thank you for that. Um, My husband and I separated in 2012. (laughs) Uh, The question is, was it hard to write a book with a happy ending when my husband and I had separated when I wrote wrote the novel? So in order to write the novel, I was out doing research. And when I say research, just trust me. It was very intensive, like amazing, awesome, really cool research. And because, like, I've been with my husband since high school. So this wasn't getting written if I was, like, Miss 30-year married with four kids lady. And this only happened because I was separated and I was out dating and, like, being crazy and stuff for the first time ever because like I married my high school sweetheart and had four kids. So I wrote the ending of the book, turned it into my agent in New York um, and she was like, oh, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to have to change the ending. And I was like, well, why? She's like, your ending's like, it's not a happy ending. And I'm like, okay, well, every book doesn't have to have a happy ending, okay? Why do we have to have every book have a happy ending? I mean, it's like a neutral ending. It's not like a sad ending. No one dies. And she's like, I'll tell you what, you can leave the ending the way it is but if I sell your film rights, they're going to change your ending. So you decide right now if because she's selling the film rights and and she's like you decide if you want to make the happy ending to this story or if you want like some producer in LA to make the happy ending to your story. And I was like, oh no, I'll do it. I I I'll do it I'll do it. Um, so in the meantime, after like counseling and. All this stuff. My husband and I get back together. In the time that it's been now turned in and she's come back to me and said, you have to change the ending, it so happened that my husband and I ended up back back together. Um, after what I think was a very productive and significant and no regrets um, sabbatical, as I like to refer, refer to it, um, we got back together. And so I like had this kind of happy ending in my life or what everybody would say. I was like, yay, like, you got back together with your high school sweetheart and yay for the kids and stuff. So... Um, it was easier to write the happy ending at that point that I was actually having that than when I first wrote it and I was like all bitter and like separated like legal paperwork and attorneys and custody and all this crap that I was going through when I wrote the ending. Um, So I kind of enjoyed at that point giving it a more Hollywood style ending. Um, And I think the readers have appreciated that too. Um, So I think though that the challenge of being a romance writer is that if your life doesn't have, like, any romance in it, and that's really tough, right? So in in the meantime, I teach erotica writing at the Bethesda, at the Writer Center in Bethesda. And so I've met a lot of romance people writing romantic stuff, and then I've also become, you know, like, part of, like, the Maryland romance writers and so forth. And I think a lot of them are really good at making up a lot of stuff, right? Because i've met them and they're not doing the same type of research that i did for my my book as a nonfiction writer again like i'm a nonfiction writer so to me i can't just make stuff totally i mean it's it's a novel it's fiction right but um i don't know how good i would be at totally crafting like romance novel after romance novel out of nothing um but your life is not always romantic, no matter, who, no matter who you are. Like, when I had to write the sequel, my husband and I were back together, and I was like, whoa, no more research for me. Like, I have to write the sequel, and I'm married again. So, um, But I was inspired by my past research also, but also, like, having talked to a lot of people... And now I've created these characters, right? And they've taken on their own lives. Like, they've actually become a real, real women to me. So the concept of the novel is it's three women who start a group called the Scarlet Letter Society... There are three women who are cheating on their husbands, and they meet monthly at a coffee shop, and they discuss their affairs, and they discuss life and and marriage, and they also start a book club, reading all the books throughout history that are based on adultery. So, of course, they read The Scarlet Letter, and then they read Fear of Flying by Erica Jong, they read... Um, Madame Bovary. They read Lady Chatterley's Lover. They read um, The Awakening. And, and so every month, the book is framed around the 12 meetings of the Scarlet Letter Society. So it's 12 meetings of these, three, of these three women who are cheating on their husbands, except for one woman who says she's cheating on her husband, but she's not. But she just thinks they're cool and she wants to hang out with them. So she's not actually having an affair, but she's like invented an affair. And so her whole, her whole deal is to, for women who have not ever had an extramarital affair, to identify with having a strong crush on someone but not being able to follow up on that because you're faithful to your husband so the character there's a character in the novel and sort of what she does uh, she's a baker in this small town and her graphic designer who's doing all her graphic design work she's got like a mad crush on him and what happens with them and stuff unfolds in the story Um, and I had fun writing it I mean I had a lot of fun writing it um, and then I had fun writing the sequel. It was um, fun to write, and so now I'm writing. It's now a trilogy because, and that's it. Like I'm not going to become like one of these like serial romance writers because, like I am. Do- I am only done because a trilogy seems like a neatly packaged way to be done being like <laughs> doing that romance writing part of my career. Um, and then I don't know what I'm going to do after. I mean, I actually do. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a memoir of um, like my growing up, and it's called Upper White Trash, and it's about growing up in a like, trashy neighborhood outside Philadelphia where I grew up, and it's just like kind of a David Sedaris, I wish I was more like him, but he's my favorite kind of it's it's a memoir, it's a kind of dark comedy kind of uh, memoir piece that, and my, I tried to sell that to my agent, I was like, you should buy my memoir I'm so excited, I'm going to write it, it's called Upper White Trash, and she's like cool, well, why don't we publish your novel? And then if it's successful, people will buy your memoir because they give a shit who you are. Because right now, no one knows who you are, and they're not going to go buy your memoir because it's just because you put it out. Like, if you have a successful series of best-selling books, and then you put out a a memoir, people are going to be more likely to read it. So I allowed her to convince me of that since she's in New York on Fifth Avenue, and I'm not. I'm here in the Eastern Shore of Maryland not knowing what the hell. So um, navigating the New York publishing industry has definitely been interesting for me because I constantly feel like an idiot. Like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. It's my first time at the rodeo. I mean, today is my first book signing. This book just came out in print this week. Like, this is not something I've had any experience with. So I'm constantly asking, like, trying to not ask dumb questions. Like, before I ever, I email my agent, my publisher, I, like, Google things to, like, try to not look stupid. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's been an interesting journey. Um, New York, my first um, book signing in New York City is Monday. So I travel to New York tomorrow and absolutely terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. I mean, this thing is being held at, I was like mildly scared of this. It was supposed to be a panel discussion though, so I wasn't scared because I was like, oh, the other two women will talk and they'll be great. Um, but I also, I speak at conferences and I teach classes. So this setting wasn't unnerving to me. But the New York thing on Monday is at this place called Madame X, which is like a formal former bordello in Soho that they turned into a romance reading, like nightclub or something. So it's all like it velvet. They really well. What? They run it really well. Have you been there? No, but I know the people run it. Okay. They, we have one here that we're starting. You are? That's so cool. I mean, yeah, but it's not. It's not as erotic as that one. It's, it's all. New. Here's the thing. So. There's like red velvet and lace and and fringe and I'm going to speak there and you have to be invited and you have to get into it and your publisher has to know someone and I only got in because my publisher knew someone and I'm terrified of it because again because I'm not a romance writer I don't know which scene to read because they said the reading has to be PG and I was like You guys are, like, in a form of bordello, and you're, like, a romance reading thing, and you're, like, when you say PG, like, what does that mean to you? (laughs) Because as, like, a journalist and a nonfiction writer, my sex scenes are definitely more, they're not what you would find in a traditional romance novel. When we first um, put the book out on the Kindle, it had a completely different cover. It had, like, a woman's, like like side of a woman's breast and like her, she's on a bed and like her rings are falling off. Get it. So like her rings are on the bed. So it's like a slutty boob ring thing. That was the original cover. And then my publisher took that to Barnes and Noble. This is the advantage of having like an agent and a publisher to me versus self publishing, which I had done in the past and is totally fine. But I'm just saying this is not stuff I could have made happen. Kindle of the day, nook of the day getting in Barnes and Noble. I don't think is anything I could have managed on my own. So I feel fortunate to have people in New York that know what they're doing. But, um, he went to Barnes & Noble and said, we want you to carry this book. This, you know, And they said, well, we'll carry the book, but you have to change the cover. And so my publisher came back to me and said, you can't have boobs on a cover. And I was like, okay. I, you know, you, I didn't pick the cover. The publisher picked the cover. You can't have boobs on the cover because if there's boobs on the cover, it goes in the romance section in the back of the store with the Harlequins. And that's not what your book is. It's commercial women's fiction. You want it in the front of the store, not in the back of the store. So Barnes & Noble graciously said, we'll run it in the front of the store if you change the cover. So why don't you guys go take a look at what the Fifty Shades of Grey covers look like and try to do something that's, like, in that look and feel. And so my publisher comes back to me, do you you agree to change the cover? And I'm like, oh, no, like, I'm going to be all, like, you know... Throw down for this original cover that I didn't even have anything to do with, like on what, on what, like I don't, I don't care what the cover is. So, yeah, by all means, change it so it could be in the Barnes and Noble, because it's not going to sell if it's not in the Barnes and Noble. Um, so, they changed it to this like random ribbon thing, still has the ring, whatever. That's, I don't know, the, the whole like hint of like whatever is the thing, I guess. Then the second book comes out in November. There's like a small version of the cover at the bottom. It's the Scarlet Letter Scandal, and it has a whip on the front. And so they sent me this artwork, and they're like, oh, what do you think? This is the new cover. This is, and I'm like, well, what I think is there's, there's, no, there's no whip in the second book. And I said, I said I felt like a Starbucks barista. I was like, would you like me to add whip? So I like went back and wrote in like a whip in this one scene, which was very easily done because it was like a masquerade ball, and like she's with the fan of the opera, and I'm like, he could totally have a whip. We'll just, is that on? Oh, my gosh, I didn't even know. I wonder if this is being recorded. I hope not. All right. The rubber ducky's not in my book, but the whip is in my second book now. I don't know. The second book is about, because then I was like, what is the second book going to be about? Like, this book was done. I turned it in. I was like, yay. I heard it was 60,000 word minimum to write a novel. And literally, on my computer, I was like, 60,000 words, not the end. Like, I was done. Writing a novel is hard. The only way I got this no- both my novels done, and I'll do my third one, is there's this thing on Twitter called 1K1Hour. Is anybody a writer that's familiar with this? The hashtag is 1K1HR. And it's just that you'll write 1,000 words in an hour. And somebody, told me, somebody at the Romance Writers Association or whatever told me about it. And it basically means writers all get on, and they say they're going to do a 1K1Hour. And you start it, like, say, at the top of the hour. Somebody says, who wants to do a 1K1Hour? And the challenge is to write 1,000 words in an hour. And I was like, that's cool. I mean, I can't write 60,000 words in a row, but I can write 1,000 words in an hour. So you also can't really write 60,000 words in 60 like, straight hours, because it kind of doesn't work that way. But I would do it when I was like stuck, like when I was like, I don't know what comes next in my story. I would go and I would do a 1K thing, and it really helped me get past the idea of how many words you have left. Because when you get to like 30,000, when you get like halfway done the novel, like I remember being like, oh, it's only halfway done, like, oh I mean it took me six months total to write the novel but um the 1k 1 hour thing really helped me because breaking down the word count for me was a good way as if someone who writes a thousand words all the time I can always write a thousand words I can't write I can't handle the idea of writing 20,000 words or 40,000 or 60,000 but a thousand words like I could do that time. so I literally broke the novel especially the second novel which I had better outlined, and I just had a writing schedule, and it was like, how many thousand are you gonna do this week? And it was just like all broken down. So that really helped. Um, and does anyone else have any other questions? i try to stop talking for like one minute, because. Questions? Tell me why you came to this session, like what you hope to hear from it or learn from it. Does anybody, are you guys like, are any of you a romance writer? Are you a romance writer for real? you want to come up and be the <laughs> I'm not kidding like what did you hope to learn from the session I hope to learn what was different now because I wrote I've written historical romance okay. okay the book that I am do right now is historical fiction straight fiction mm-hmm. And so I only know the romance world and your world is slightly different so... it's totally different I'm terrified of the romance world because it's such a not, like, cult's not the right word, but, like, these people are serious about being romance writers, like the RWA and their conference and all that. I'm, I'm terrified of all of that, like, because I don't fit in with that. I've never been a romance writer before, so, but now, I, just because my book got put in a certain category, like, I'm now sort of in that category, and I'm like, oh, you know. So I'm feeling my way across the romance writers of America world as much as anybody, um, given my background in, in journalism and nonfiction writing. And I don't think it's been a bad thing because I sort of approached the process a little bit differently. Um, but I was glad that my book wasn't with the bodice-ripping romance section because that, that definitely was isn't where I as a writer sort of belonged. But I have nothing but admiration for... Like, real romance writers crank out an, an astonishing amount of content. I have no clue how they put out the amount of content that they do. I have a friend who's a romance writer and I wrote a novel about ten years ago and it, it actually just turned out being very therapeutic to write the novel itself. But she told me Yeah. basically three segments. It's a formula. Yeah. And she assigned a a symbol to each so she, there was a heart and there was a question mark and there was a exclamation point. Wow. That's really neat. Yeah. And she I mean, that is the scientific, like, approach to romance writing, I think, is an excellent idea. of the most successful romance authors, but their are jobs. That's how organized they are. And you hear them talk, and it's the entire, you know, they have a system. It's a formula. Yeah, and they brought the system over from when they had to study briefs and works. You know, that detail. Yeah, I mean, and it... These are intelligent intelligent women writers writing this stuff versus cause there's a lot of crappy romance out there. Well, like a massive true. volumes. What I found in the literary side is that people are more likely to backbite you and talking about the romance and stuff. The romance people are like, you know, lifting you up lift all our boats. Yeah. But that's not That's actually really good to hear. I mean, I'm glad to hear that. I'm scared to death because they're like the unknown though for me, like you know yeah. really to I mean, I'm, to I'm scared. To death Oh my God. I know. Right. Like I I went to look at that late. The thing I'm speaking at on Monday in New York city is like that lady Jane salon thing. And I looked at like their past like photo albums and I was like, Oh my God. Like I don't, I mean they had like, like feathers in their hair and like, like red leather, like bustiers and stuff. And I was like, totally not happening. I know. But like, that's just not me. Like I can't, I mean, it's not me. It's not my book. It's not like, it's just not who I am. Like I can't even, I don't know. So I'm I'm intimidated by how romance writers look, too, a lot of them. Um, I got invited to Jackie Collins' book party in New York in June, and I'm going to that, and I have no idea why, and I'm terrified. I don't know yeah. what I'm supposed to wear or what I'm going to do or whatever, but somebody, is it on the back? One of the reviews had, like, my book is, like, Candace Bushnell and Jackie Collins turned modern. or Like, I was compared to her. And so, I guess somebody found out about it and, like, invited me to her launch, her book launch party in New York. And I was like, well, shit, like, I'll go. And I'll be like, hey, do you want my book? Like, you should totally read it or, like, tweet about it or something, whatever. Um, but it's intimidating. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, like, navigating. It's sort of like, you know, my therapist, because I totally have one, is, like, telling me that you have to do this thing where, like, it's like you're driving the car and, like, you only worry about what the headlights are showing, and this is like t- kind of like on the guru kind of hippy-dippy side, so I apologize. But um, she was like, you, know, you can't look in the rearview mirror. This is kind of a good life thing, though, not even really just with my book or this book, because today was my first of nine signings in six weeks, um, and I was freaking out about it. And she's like, okay, so you're driving the car, and in the dark and all you do is you worry about what's in the headlights like you don't worry about you know what's in the rearview mirror or what's beyond the headlights you just try to do one thing at a time you know and i was like yeah that's awesome so cool so and i was like and don't text and drive right because you don't want to be distracted when you're like trying to focus on what's in the headlights so we talked about that and um You know, I'm definitely uh, a misfit in terms of romance writers. Again, which is why I was hoping my fellow panelists could shed more light on the real lives of romance writers. I think one thing that we wanted to cover as a group, though, um, I should, like, move to their chairs and, like, talk like them, like, when I can pretend I'm someone else or something. (laughs) But we were talking about, like, as mothers, I mean, we all have kids, it's really hard to, like, put your kids on the bus and then go sit down and write a chapter in a romance novel, right? Because you just, like, I'm, in real life, you know, I'm like, all right, I have to let the dog out. I'm gonna get a quick load of laundry and maybe empty the dishwasher. Like, you're very distracted by like the daily trappings of your normal life. Like, you're raising kids, you're you're running a household or doing whatever. Um, for me, I I've answered that by when my husband and I were separated and I wrote this first novel. I had a place of my own for the first time. I had like that kind of room of my own space, and I never had that in my whole life because I went right from college to getting married. So. Having the cottage on an island that you take a drawbridge to, there's no phone signal, there's no nothing. Where I wrote this novel, like once I was writing in that place, there was no not going back to that. So for the second novel, I rented, although my husband and I were back together, I rented a co- uh, an island waterfront island cottage again for the purpose of writing the novel. And this summer, I have it for July and August to write the third novel um, because that place of your own thing. Is very necessary for me, for at least in my life as a mama four, and uh, and a, and an editor for a website. Very distracting for me to be around the internet because I work on the internet. I I haven't I don't know when I'll be able to quit my real job if I ever will. But right now I still have a job every day, and it's to edit and publish and social media the stories that I have. Um, my publisher is Russ Smith, um, the owner of Splice Today. He used to own the City Paper in Baltimore, sold it, then uh, founded the New York Press, then sold that, and then opened the website where I'm the senior editor now. So I actually have a, a, jo- a job, and I can't. When I wake up in the morning and I get on the internet, it's to work. So uh, making it even more difficult to be like, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to de- delve into that that masquerade party sex scene right now because, you know, and I'm, like, living in this, like, subdivision where there's, like, a house being built across the street, and I'm just like, no, it's not going to happen. Like, to me, you've got to create some kind of separate space for yourself. So I basically spend all my money from my real job renting a place to go write these books, and, and then I'll be done doing it after the summer. But Um, the room of your own thing for me as a romance or an accidental romance writer, which I guess is what I am, um, is really, really necessary. I mean, even if the space isn't, um, a whole separate place, but once I wrote a novel on the waterfront, um, I live on the Eastern shore and the Chesapeake Bay is just, um, once you've been in that setting, um, there isn't any going back for me it's such a beautiful place to live the shore is so gorgeous and um to me i I wanted like i would ride my bike to buy crabs from like my journey of writing the novel was you know by myself for the first time i didn't know how to start the grill so because i had never started a grill in my life so here i am 45 years old i was 40 during the separation 42 i guess and i wanted to have steak and like i realized i had never started a grill before and i'm like oh my god like I've never, I don't know how to start a girl. Like, how sad is that? So, like, a lot of what I went through when I was writing the book was, like, this whole, like, room of your own journey of, like, finding, like, I hate to go totally, you know, again, guru or whatever, but finding out who I was and what the hell I was doing with my life. It was a classic midlife crisis, really, garden variety, boring midlife crisis. But, I mean, it really was kind of an interesting place to be when I was writing the book. And um, I started out on the island calling to try to get crabs delivered right because it's the eastern shore and this is the Tillman Island where I where I write is where a, like a huge amount of the state seafood comes in so I'm like all right why well, I should be able to get crabs delivered right so I call around and I find a guy who will deliver crabs for like I think it's 30 bucks a dozen and I was like okay I'll pay 30 dollars for a dozen crabs that sounds good so he comes and I get the crabs eat them then I find a place that has what was it like you could pick up crabs for 20 bucks a dozen. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll get them for 20, right? Then for $10, I found you could buy them live from the guys at the waterfront. And I'm like, 10 bucks, like, that's great. Like, I can go get them right on the waterfront. So I did. Um, And then I realized that there's a dock in front of me that if I put a crab pot on the bottom of, that I could catch all the crabs I wanted for free. Now, the women on the island had to teach me how to Um, cook the crabs, because I had no idea. And they don't use Old Bay, they use J now. That's the big island tip, in case you're wondering. (laughs) Since we're in Maryland, I'll let you know. There's no Old Bay. Um, There's a seasoning called J and O seasoning, and I don't know, it comes on the island, they have it in the country store, I don't know where it comes from, but I've heard that you can get it here too, I don't know. Um, So I learned how to make catch and and make my own crabs, and um, that was kind of cool. But anyway, um, if you want, I can take questions, Um, I can do a brief reading. I can, like, read chapter one or page one. I can read page one because it's how I sold the book, if that's interesting. Um, What happened was that um, I sent 25 literary agents. Are you guys okay with page one? We'll do page one. And then you can all decide if you're going to buy it based on that, right? All right. I'll read page one. I'm not going to do some long, annoying, like, reading where I love my work so much, whatever. Um, I'll do one page, but, um, what happened was I sent it out to 25 agents. Look, the guys are too embarrassed to hear page one. (laughs) It's actually probably better. It's pretty awkward, but, um, my friend just called me to say her book had come from Amazon and she left it on the counter. Oh my God, are you going to be the only guy? Are you brave enough? Are you brave enough (laughs) to be the only guy? No, ask me a question.
1: Oh, the terminology. Yep. So obviously,
0: you're not doing that. What do you think is the difference between what you say, the very core commercial body for of How do they handle it? The language? what why How do you make your decision? If you asked me to write six, I would run this on screen. How would you notice? Okay. How did you work that out? That's a great question. And so I didn't know what I was doing I wrote I wrote the sex scenes very honestly because as a journalist I, I, I'm a reporter so they were written in were I didn't like create like mysterious unicorn language around what we were going to call things um, and so I actually ended up writing a, pe- a piece called um, deleted pussy because my agent went through and deleted the word pussy from my document and said like yeah that word you can't use that word well, I had to be taught what the language is. If I, if you're going to have commercial women's fiction erotica ap- book, what what can you say and what can't you say? Thank you so much for Thank coming. You. You. To there, are some there, there are some guidelines. Like one of the guidelines is like the three C's. Like you shouldn't really use the word cock, clit, or am oh, I forgetting? Or, or clit, cock, and cunt. Sorry to have to use that in conversation. but those um three words, no-nos, like just not happening. They're not going in the front of the Barnes and Noble. So like I made decisions based on putting the putting out of a commercial women's literature book that would be acceptable in the front of the Barnes and Noble, right? So now we know that we can't say cunt or cock or pussy. So, but we still have to call everything something now. And I'm like, Oh God. Right. So actually I, I think I, I blogged about it and I said, where do you guys, like, where do you get your words for things? And I did some research on, like, how how do romance writers approach the language of body parts, right? Because you don't want it to read, like, like it's being written by a physician, and you don't want it to be read like it's being written by, uh, like, a porn star or something, right? You want to be somewhere in between, like, porn star and physician. So, um, and it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. So, you know, I... I um, I used, like, I was okay with the word erection, for example. I was like, okay, I feel like that word is a fair word. It's not too icky, because you don't want to get icky. You know, like, some words just feel icky, you know. And so I tried to stay away from any words. That, there's actually been studies done on, like, what words are okay and not okay in commercial fiction versus romance writing and all this stuff. And then there's a, um, like, 1,000 things to call a vagina, like, website that I went to. <laughs> And I was like, okay, pretty sure I'm not going to have Lady Garden in my book, but what about her center? That's not a bad one. So it's kind of like you're making the the center of her pleasure, things like that. And the thing I learned from my agent was, like, I had a a sentence in my book that was, she woke up in the morning with a tongue inside her pussy. Now we have to get rid of that word, right? So she woke up in the morning with a tongue inside. My agent sent the edit back. And had taken out her pussy. So it simply said she woke up in the morning with a tongue inside her. And my agent was like, pretty much we know where that tongue is, don't we? And I'm like, yes, totally. You're so brilliant. Oh, my God. Like, I don't even have to say that word. Why would I put that word? And I was like, you know, you can basically be evocative is the answer. And that's what I kind of chose, language that was evocative instead of being icky or too mechanical or too blatant. You have to call it something right? I mean, I had to call it something sometimes, but sometimes you don't. You can kind of, you can let the reader use their imagination. All right, so I'll read page one, then I'll let you guys go. The, my, my agent um, had an intern that was like 20 years old. She's British in New York, and um, this, is, this book is in the 5% of books that come out of the slush pile and get published. That's the percentage of books that are sent to literary agents that ever see print. So I just got lucky, and it was only because of page one. And it was because the, agent, the literary um, agent's intern opened the document and started saying, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. She's saying, Oh my God, like in her British, cute British accent. And the agents are like, What is that? The agents in the agency, because it's like an open setting and they could hear her. They were like, What is it? And she's like, Oh, this book, oh gosh, oh, you know, and they're like, What? And they're like gathering, you know, and then she the owner of the agency who started the agency in the 70s on 5th Avenue in New York said read the first page and she was like totally red faced and she read it but my agent the literary agent owner turned to my agent and said sign her and it was like before anybody read the novel it was before it was crazy like it was like a crazy and then she, the first thing she did was go to Twitter to see if I was like some serial killer or something so another interesting lesson though is my Twitter following was the first thing she checked before she read my novel just an interesting thing to know April 2012. Okay, it's throat-numbing spray. She grinned mischievously for blowjobs. Eva Bradley, a petite woman in her early 40s with neatly bobbed black hair, wore, wore her standard-issue corporate attorney Ann Taylor black pantsuit and brightly colored scarf de jour. She'd taken a small box from her Coach purse, removed a brown bottle, and placed it in the middle of the coffee shop's table with a dramatic near jazz hands level flourish. The small glass bottle landed thunk in the middle of the monthly invitation, accidentally hitting a bullseye on the giant red letter A watermarked on the page. Um, and then it goes on to, you know, describe the first meeting of the Scarlet Letter Society. Um, the coffee shop owner who has opened early for these women to meet, this is the last, the last paragraph in the first chapter, She's thinking, she's thinking, Adulteresses seems like an outrageously old-fashioned word to use, Zarina thought, as she cleaned the espresso maker. But what else is there to call them? The women who cheat on their husbands? MILFs? Some would say sluts or whores in a more serious way than the club members who use the terms jokingly. Maybe it's just best to call them what they call themselves in honor of Nathaniel Hawthorne's famous novel, Zarina decided. They're simply known as the Scarlet Letter Society. So, and it's about their journeys, and that's what the book's about. So I hope you'll pick it up in the bookstore, and I'll be downstairs at my table. If you want me to sign one for you, I would love to. It would be my first one, because they just came out. (laughs) Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for coming.